Hello and thank you for joining Haaretz Weekly. I'm Amir Tibon. Israel's new government has been in office for just three weeks, but it already feels like so much has happened since Benjamin Netanyahu's return to power in late December. On today's episode, we'll discuss what makes this government different than even previous Netanyahu governments and why it is more extreme, more dangerous, and mostly more religious than any Israeli government before. Joining us to discuss this issue is Dr. Tomer Persico, an expert on contemporary religion and modern Jewish identity. Tomer is a research fellow at the Shalom Hartman Institute and a senior scholar at the UC Berkeley Center for Middle Eastern Studies. Hi, Tomer. Thanks for joining us. Hello, Amir. Thank you. So Benjamin Netanyahu is the longest serving prime minister in Israeli history, and he was in power for 12 years between 2009 and 2021. He lost power briefly for 18 months when we had Israel's short-lived government of change, and now he's back. Is this just one more Netanyahu government, more of the same, or are we looking at something different? Yeah, I don't think it's the same. I think it's very different. I mean, first of all, Netanyahu has always tried to add someone from the left or the center-left to his government, uh, even as a fig leaf sort of token, hand-reaching out sort of, a gesture, and this time there's nothing like that. Now, not only is there nothing like that, but the members of the coalition are hardcore religious parties. So let's try to give our listeners a bit of the numbers here behind this uh, important statement. We're looking at a coalition of 64 uh, members overall, right, out of 120 in the Israeli Knesset. And what's the makeup? Who are the members that, because of their presence, this is a different kind of government? Let's begin with the Likud. The Likud basically is only a half of the coalition. It's the most, it's the largest party, but the amount of influence it has on where the coalition goes is limited. Alongside the Likud, except the Likud, we have only religious parties. We have the Haredi, the ultra orthodox parties, and we have religious Zionism, the party, not the public, which is a very hard line, I would even say, in this context, fundamentalist religious party. And we've never had something like that before in Israel to begin with, right? A government where different religious factions make up half of the governing coalition is by itself a precedent. Yes, that's true. Uh, and, you know, even we, we we can even talk about the makeup of the Likud itself, which today is completely different than it was 15 years ago, even 10 years ago, with all the liberal MKs or uh, members of parliament basically ousted and the Likud itself being populated by many religious Zionists and others who are, you know, tuning themselves along uh, populist uh, agendas. Now, for people who follow Israeli politics to some degree, like many of our listeners abroad, the involvement of uh, ultra-Orthodox parties in, in an Israeli government is not such big news, even if they have more power in this current coalition. I think the biggest story that emerged from the last election and from the formation of this government is the rising power of the far right, of what we call the religious Zionism party. Uh, who are these people? What do they represent? They offer, they present a sort of fundamentalist religious Zionism that was never in power the way it is today. It was always on the fringes. Uh, it was. It never held as much sway over the government as we have today. Now, comparing them to the ultra-Orthodox is important. Uh, I mean, both sort of religious publics can be termed fundamentalist in a way, but we need to differentiate closely and carefully what uh, the differences between them. 
Those orthodox are fundamentalist in a way that what's most important for them is continuity and community. They want to act and be and, and live the way that their forefathers did or the, the thing they did. And they want their children to be the same as they are. They're living close-knit in their communities, and it's very important for them to maintain the holiness, the homogeneity of their community. That's one sort of, we might say, fundamentalist public. But religious Zionism in its current uh, reincarnation, in its in political uh, representation today, is something different. They are more fundamentalist, even I would say, in the, in the Christian sense, in the evangelical sense, in which they hold that the truth or the complete truth is uh, given to us from God in the words of the Bible, they uh, carry a very uh, literal understanding of the commandments, and they wish not to care for their own community, which of course they do, but to change the whole makeup of the state of Israel. They intend to uh, influence Israel in its very uh, direction. That is their vision. I think this is a really important point to, to, to try to give a little more background on because the ultra-Orthodox parties always are seen as completely sectarian. Um, and while there have always been these fights about issues of uh, religious coercion in Israel, Mostly, I think the anger of the secular public in Israel toward the, the ultra-orthodox has to do with the fact that the you know, exemption from military service um, or the fact that many of the ultra-orthodox men don't participate in the workforce and uh, basically live off all kinds of uh, government uh, supports. But this party, uh, led by the current finance minister, Bezalel Smotrich, it's not just about taking care of the interests of... Uh, specific sector in Israeli society, which also exists, right, the religious Zionist sector. And, and you made an important distinction between the uh, religious Zionist society and this party, because the, the aim of this party is broader. They want to turn Israel itself as a whole into a more religious country. Yes, yeah, so we should, we should, maybe we should, uh, you know, underline this difference. The majority of religious Zionists as a public are modern, uh, even you know, in ways, progressive people, they don't want religious coercion or at least not too much of it. They want Israel to be a prosperous, thriving Western society. They are, you know, they are not aligned with the religious Zionism, the party, in and, many and, ways. And yet, Tomer, so many voted for it. And I have to, to share a, a personal yeah. perspective here. Um, I have friends from the religious Zionist society in Israel, and the for I would say I have relatives yeah of course you, you are much more involved and and for most of the past decade the party that most of them voted for in Israeli elections was whatever uh, the party Naftali Bennett led at the time was yeah. called he emerged as the leader uh, the most prominent leader in this uh, public and while he was himself a very right-wing politician and nationalistic and conservative I have to tell you I never had a, an issue with friends or family members uh, voting <laughs> for Bennett. Uh, it, it was, to me, a, a very normal thing. And uh, I think, you know, as adults uh, in a democratic country and society, we need to be able to get along with people who disagree with us and of have course. friends uh, and beloved family members who think completely differently than us. Uh, and eventually, the most interesting 
development was that Bennett, as the leader of a religious Zionist party, found himself at the helm of a government that also included secular center-left parties. But in the right. last election, so many of my friends who could no longer vote for Bennett because he chose not to run again for the Knesset, uh-huh. found themselves voting for the far-right a, a religious Zionism party led by Smotrich and Itamar Ben-Gvir, who is a disciple of uh, Rabbi Meir Kahana. Um, right. And these are very extreme people. These are not moderate, uh, modern, uh, compromise-seeking leaders. And to me, it has been very difficult in the uh, two and a half months since the election to understand why so many people that I consider moderate, again, we can have differences, but... We agree yeah. on a, a, a share, you know, on a set of shared values, how they could vote for such an extreme political party. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, the people you describe as your friends are my relatives. And again, while I, I imagine most of them, or I assume most of them have voted for that party from a neck of alternatives and, and some sort of uh, wishful thinking that uh, these people aren't actually as extreme as they say they are and they certainly said they are but it's still it's still a shock it's still uh, something that that cannot but bother us because and and, and here we we need to be clear Itamar Ben-Gvir basically heeds the equivalent of the uh, or or the Israeli KKK this is what we're talking about okay it's a racist extreme party that uh you know, in, at least in the past, Ben Gvir uh, was not uh, shy to explicitly say that all Arabs should be driven from the land of Israel, that homosexuals have no place in the state of Israel. Bezalel Smotrich is not a lot better, but Alan Smotrich only a few years ago published a program that he called the Tofrita Hasra'a, the, 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 you know, program for what decisiveness how should we call to, it that basically yeah. a, a plan to end the israeli-palestinian conflict and according to the lines that joshua uh, joshua from the bible ended the conflict between himself and the uh, canaanite uh, uh, peoples that inhabited uh, the land of israel uh, three thousand years ago basically what what, 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 what does that look like on a modern map which countries are we annexing yeah of course we need we will need to and broaden the borders uh, quite a bit. But but basically, this plan included three options for the Palestinians, either surrender and be relegated to a second-class uh, subjectship, it's not even citizenship, and this he said explicitly, or emigrate to another place, or be destroyed. And when asked in a private conversation, what about women and children that will maybe, you know, resist a subjugation, he said explicitly, the army will take care of it. And it's interesting that he said the army will take care of it because one of the first uh, people that he has clashed with since uh, becoming the finance minister under Netanyahu is the military chief of staff or yeah. you know, the outgoing military chief of staff, Aviv Kohavi, the top general, uh, because Netanyahu promised to not only uh, appoint Smotrich finance minister, one of the key positions in the government, but to also give him some unprecedented involvement in different actions of the military in the occupied territories, and the chief of staff uh, came out against it. I think that's going to be an interesting situation for Netanyahu to manage with a, a top coalition partner versus one of the most trusted and the strongest institutions in Israel, the military. Exactly, and the problem is that Netanyahu is totally dependent on these people, not only to maintain his coalition, 
but to further his aim at basically, you know, uh, uh, liquidating, uh, manipulating, or erasing the charges against him that in, in, in his ongoing trials, they uh, tried charges of bribery, etc. So, so Netanyahu is totally dependent on these people. And again, we need to understand their, their mind frame. Uh, uh, it, it is fundamentalist in a way that it sees history as a monolithic instance, like whatever Joshua did 3,000 years ago or mythically did in order to conquer the land of Israel, this is what we need to do today. Nothing has changed. Nothing of values, uh, of, of, of uh, the way international relations work, of the way technology works. Everything is basically the same because the word of God is eternal and we simply have to implement it in today's reality. We need to understand that this is how such people think. And these are the people today heading the Israeli government. The, the Minister of Finance is this person. There's another name that has been making headlines recently, who is also a, a, a member of this new political far-right alliance, Avi Maoz. Uh, yeah. And he has been appointed by Netanyahu as a deputy minister in the government with a specific... responsibility for educational programs in the Israeli Ministry of Education. And that has actually raised a lot of opposition from liberal mayors and educators and parents in Israel. Who is this man and what does he represent? So Avima Oz is basically the representative in parliament of a rabbi called Tzvi Kao, a very prominent, uh, very elderly rabbi today heading what might be called as a religious order. In, inside religious Zionism. It's a, it's a sort of a Jesuit order inside religious Zionism that seeks to, again, to change the face of the society in Israel. Tomer, I, I love the, the comparisons you're making from the Christian world to, uh, <laughs> to this, and I think some of the <laughs> I mean, listeners will definitely appreciate the clarity. It, 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 I, I think it's, it's, it's actually amazing the way the Jewish world has Christianized in the models that it uses to, to structure itself along and these people also again not 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 differently from evangelicals have a specific problem with the LGBT community or public it is for them almost an obsession they see LGBTs as a sort of network of insidious uh, um, even meaning people wanting to transform society into a sort of uh, you know sodomized uh, hellscape, something like that. This is their obsession. And Avim Oz, again, has now got from Netanyahu, uh, basically over the next three or four years, 500 million shekels and the permission to enter every school in the, uh, in the basic, in the general system of education, the, the secular a system of education. It's, it's important, I think, to explain to some of our listeners may not know. Uh, in Israel, there are different education systems based on religiosity. There is the public general education system, which is mostly serves the secular Jewish population. Then there are different religious but government-funded streams of mm -hmm. education. And Avi Maoz, this fundamentalist man, he's not been given responsibility just over the religious schools. He's also been given responsibility over the schools where yeah. millions of secular Jewish children get their education. And of course, this is just what he demanded. It's not by accident. He wants to go into secular schools and re-educate 
secular children to hate LGBTs, to be more Jewish in his way, of course, to take to care for the halacha, to care for the for 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 Jerusalem, for the Temple Mount, whatnot. Right? This is his agenda, and of course, a, an outcry came out from the secular public because because you know parents actually uh, care about what their children are being you know taught in school now. What do these people think about diaspora Jewry? About uh, Jews who live abroad, maybe belong to the reform and conservative streams of Judaism, which are obviously larger uh, abroad, although they also exist and are growing here in Israel. How do these uh, new members of the Netanyahu coalition uh, view our brothers and sisters in the diaspora? They think reform and conservative Jews are uh, heretical, are uh, not only mistaken, but are taking the Jewish tradition in a very dangerous and apostative way, and they should, they should be resisted. They have already uh, talked about uh, legislating that reform and conservative uh, conversion into Judaism would not be accepted in Israel. It just doesn't count. They have already talked about um, dismantling the Wailing Wall uh, pluralistic um, platform, the, the sort of side uh, platform that actually Bennett uh, raised for the reform and conservative Jews that allows prayer. The, the, this is something that would obviously cause a crisis again with the, even I would say the more establishment uh, pro-Israeli Jewish organizations who so far have not taken a very strong uh, yes. line against this new government, but this kind of action will mobilize them, I believe, to respond. I think so too. And what else is going to mobilize them is their uh, wish to uh, amend the law of return, Israel's law of return that allows for sons and grandsons of Jews who are not halakhically Jewish, let's say, because the halakha goes uh, according to a matrilineal pattern. So if you are descendant from a Jewish father, but not a Jewish mother, you are actually not Jewish according to Allah. According to the Israeli law of return, it's no problem. You can come to Israel and, and uh, receive your citizenship. And, and they want to change that. And they want to change it again according to the Allah, according to the Jewish uh, law, because for them, that is the only criterion that should be uh, counted. If we look at their more long-term vision, and not just at the policy changes that will happen now, How do these people view the state of Israel five or ten years from today if they succeed in making all the changes that they want this government now to make? Uh, Bezalel Smotrich said, uh, I think just two, two or three years ago, that his end game is having a halakhic state, a state of the Torah. It's basically a theocracy. Basically a, a Jewish Iran or Saudi Arabia, in a way. I, believe, I don't believe they actually think that this is what was going to happen. Uh, or that they want it. They, they think that it will be very harmonious and that Jews will actually discover the inner spark and the divine, uh, you know, and then very willingly understand that actually they need to observe the halakha, the Jewish law, and everything will be good. But, but yes, I, I, I certainly believe that if they are in power, if Smotrich is ever prime minister, Israel will go the way of Iran. Why is Netanyahu... Uh, giving them so much power in this government right now. I mean, this is a man who for years, uh, when he was at least speaking in English uh, abroad, emphasized the liberal character of Israel and the open democracy and open society that exists here. 
and took pride in it and uh, yeah. spoke about being the, the only democracy in the Middle East. Why is he now empowering the people who, in a way, want to take away, if not all of that, then most, most of it? So, I mean, as a citizen of Israel, it's always wondrous for, for me and for, for others to see Netanyahu talk in international stages and, you know, brag about how the LGBT community in Israel has so many freedoms and rights and uh, treated very nicely, etc. And then, you know, return here to Israel and create political alliances with these people. Now, I do think that Netanyahu's heart is with the first thing I said and not the second thing I said. I, I don't think he's a fundamentalist. He's not religious at all. I, it's been said that he's an atheist, he eats non-kosher food, it's well known. He's not there. But he needs them now more than ever, first of all, to form his coalition because the left uh, and the center-left would not form a coalition with him because he is under trial for corruption. And he needs them not only for the coalition, but for for the ongoing trial, for his attempt, basically, to to erase the charges he is facing, charges of bribery and breach of trust, etc. Netanyahu needs these uh, members of Knesset more than ever, and he is totally dependent on, on them for his own personal future, for not going to jail. And this is why they have so much power now, even though I am sure that in his heart of hearts, Netanyahu is, is you know, tortured over this and very much not, not not being satisfied with the way his current coalition is uh, is built. What do you think will happen with the people who voted for this party, and as you said earlier, are not necessarily as extreme and uh, don't support all of the actions that uh, now uh, Smotrich and Ben Gvir and Maoz uh, want to do from their new uh, ministries uh, in the government? Uh, are we going to see some kind uh, of a pushback from the more liberal, a religious uh, Zionist population, or do you think the opposite will happen, that the leaders will take the public with them to the more extreme place? I'm, I'm sure we'll see a pushback. I'm, I'm sure a, a majority of the religious Zionists is at least uncomfortable with what is happening or uh, and, and even outright uh, resisting it. But we have to also remember that the religious Zionist public is in a fix. The basis of, of their collective identity, or one of the bases, is the, the settlement um, project in the, in the occupied territories in Judea and Samaria. This is what, as a public, they care about. And anytime this project is threatened, they will, you know, they will, they will have to defend it. And, and, and in a way, sometimes this leads them to to feel that they have no choice but to take these leaders, these extreme leaders who can defend what they care for, if not the most, very much. Uh, well, and that's actually, I think, uh, uh, the one area where we could see a clash between uh, Smotrich and Bengvir um, and the Biden administration. For example, we saw that um, the Biden administration, despite, I think, taking a very weak and soft approach with this new Netanyahu government so far, in my opinion, just embarrassing, honestly. But they have put down several red lines, and one of them uh, seemed to be uh, the issue of uh, illegal outposts. These are settlements that are illegal even under Israeli yeah. law, like, for example, Chomesh, which is in the uh, northern West Bank. 
And if there is uh, an American insistence on this point, Netanyahu would face a very difficult situation with these coalition partners. Yeah, that's right. I mean, basically, Netanyahu has a solid government and he's almost, he can almost do anything he wants vis-a-vis the Israeli public. It's not, there will be demonstrations, but he has the power. But when we turn to the international stage, yes, that's where the challenges will be, specifically from the Biden administration, uh, that many things that are very old policy uh, with the Americans uh, are things that, that the current coalition, Ben Gvir, Smartridge, want to completely overturn. And by the way, another thing that we need to keep an eye on is the Temple Mount. Oh, yeah, we, f- we forgot that little place up yeah, there in Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's this little, you know, archaeological site which a few hundreds of millions of people uh, believe is sacred, Muslims and Jews, and, and for Benavir, and, and for Smotrich, it is a place, first and foremost, of Israeli sovereignty, of a sovereignty that needs to be accentuated. And and Benavir has already ascended the Temple Mount, which caused, you know, a row from uh, from Arab countries and from European and the U.S. countries. I, I see that as a, a breaking point uh, with this government, because in a few months we have Passover. Hmm, yes. Religious or extreme religious Jews have already handed Benvir as the minister of police a formal request to be able to sacrifice a lamb near or on the Temple Mount. And this is a complete, of course, breach of the status quo uh, on the Temple Mount and surrounding the Temple Mount. These sort of people have always been stopped by police on their way with the lamb in their hand. And what's going to happen this year, right? Will Ben Gvir uh, be able to curb his religious enthusiasm and tell these people no? Or will he feel obligated not only to God, but also to his constituency and actually allow this thing to happen? And if this thing happens, I believe there is almost no chance that violence will not erupt. Well, we'll have to uh, follow that story and perhaps invite you again to discuss it closer to Passover. Uh, Tomer Persico, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you, Amir. It was a pleasure. And to our listeners, if you want to read more about uh, these political trends in Israel and what they could mean for the U.S.-Israel relationship and the broader Middle East, uh, go to arts.com, subscribe, and uh, follow all the news that is happening here in Israel. It's quite a lot. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you to Nahara Malkin and Shani Aviram, our production and editing team. And thanks to you listeners. We'll be back again next week with another episode. And until then, Shalom from Tel Aviv.